I pray, Lord, I pray as we get into your word that you would help us. You say it's the entrance of your word that brings light and life, and I pray that the glorious light of the gospel of Jesus could shine bright in here today, Lord. Now I ask, Lord, through the preaching of your word for people to be able to love you more dearly, to follow you more nearly, and to hear you more clearly. Now, Lord, let the words of my mouth and meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. You're my strength and redeemer, and you'll be glad and happy heart. Say amen. We're going to be in Philippians 4 and 10, verses uh, 1 through, um, excuse me, verses 10 through 20. Um, I, uh, just by way of, I should have prayed for him out loud, so I forgot to do that. So, Pastor J.T. McCraw is in our Clarksville congregation this morning preaching on a very um, important uh, subject matter. Um, he doesn't frequently, you know, preach on, on Sunday mornings, but, you know, our thoughts and prayers are with him this morning. So, Lord, we just pray that a grace and an anointing and a favor and a power, God, be there, that he would just rock that congregation for Jesus. Uh, amen. Um, reaching the city. You know what I'm amazed about when you come to talk about reaching the city? It's going to cost somebody something to get somewhere. There's no free ride. We all cognitively understand this, but, but our awareness doesn't necessarily make us appreciate the fact that you can't enjoy something without a cost. To go on vacation, it costs you something. To, you know, have your vehicle... It costs you something. Your home. My, my, I, I hope they turned off the lights at my house before my kids left. Because the light bill is high. You know, where we're from, your, your, your parents used to make you turn off everything all the time. And, you know, occasionally they turn off the heat and air. Because everything you want to do has a cost. Now, whether or not we want to pay... That's a different thing. We want to enjoy, for sure. I want to enjoy being a part of something. I just don't always want to pay the cost to be involved. What does it cost to reach a city? You know, sometimes the cost is small, like the um, Harvest Fest we'll have on the 31st, where all you've got to do is kind of walk up to somebody and just... I guess I don't have one. You can just walk up to somebody and say, hey, our church is having this thing. Especially if you think maybe they've never been in a Christian environment. The Harvest Fest is not an opportunity for us who have the light on the inside of us to come and just shine each other down. Flashlight. <laughs> we're, not, we're not here to just outshine each other. You know, when every time we do an outreach, whether it's a Bethel at the movies or in Harvest Fest, you know, it's, we're, we're, we're paying a, a, a cost as a church or a body of believers to see the gospel advance in someone's life who maybe is stuck in darkness. Think about today's text. Um, I think about people um, who graduated to a place in God where what's been going on can be appreciated and when I read this text and I, and I see all of these familiar scriptures, I think I know what it's all about. But as I took the time to go deeper, I realized I don't think I know what it's about. Have you ever read the Bible for years and years and years? And then you come across that familiar verse and 
And you're not just going for the cliche version. You're not just going for what you've always heard. You, maybe you're just taking a small, deeper dive only to realize, whoo, I missed the total point of that. You know, I've, I've been there. I, I, I venture to say that we as a congregation might read today's scripture and, and realize maybe we've historically missed some points about what God wants to do. Because whenever you think, whenever you hear somebody say, oh, to reach a city, it's going to cost you something, you think, oh, this is leading toward me giving something. I know where this is going. And, and, and when you read this particular text, you, you, you can kind of start getting this hint. If you hear too much about a person's need, well, that's a signal. So, I, let, let me read it out loud for you. Here, here's, we're about to talk about Paul and the Philippian church. This is a church that he loved. You have to imagine that this letter is being written to not a, from a boss to an employee or not just a, a spiritual leader to a, 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 a bunch of congregants. This is a familial tone. This is a, a leveling out. This is, this is, this is a, a shared perspective or, or whatever. You, and I want you to see the, the, the temperament of this letter from the very beginning. When you start at verse 10, it says, I, I, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you've renewed your concern for me. Uh, you know, take the scripture down. I don't want anybody to get ahead of me because I'm going to go places. and Because we already have in our mind sometimes where things are going. I rejoice that you have renewed your commitment to me. So at some point, you were meeting a need I had and you stopped. You know, when somebody's been doing something for you and they stop, I tell you my temperament is not necessarily joy. Paul has got this happy disposition, but he's just said, I'm needy. I've been needy. I haven't seen you in 10 years, and I'm glad you finally remembered me. Now, I would have put some spice in that letter. I know you couldn't find it in your heart to help me out <laughs> over those last few years, but it's okay. We both love the Lord anyway. And I appreciate that which you have given. But his tone is... Not that. Now, I want you to understand when he's talking about renewed investment toward his need, to me, anytime you think about Paul in the Bible, I immediately go to a needy person. To me, he just, it, it just, he just, he just was always in need. You can't go as many places as Paul went and not, he didn't have a job. Well, like he was, you know, he did work, make some tents for a while, but he was just struggling a little bit for a minute, had to get him something on the side. My man did not work. It's like always in need. And, and it's not like, you've never been around a person, is, it's, it's cool to give somebody $5 or $10 at a time, but this person always needs something big, going someplace big, you know, in this relationship, you think about the renewed commitment. When was the first time they were committed? It was almost on day one when, when Paul had a vision of a man standing there that was Macedonian, calling him to Macedonia to come across the sea. First of all, it cost Paul something to get there. 
I don't know who paid that. But it cost him something to get there. But when he gets there to Philippi, when he gets there, he goes to a prayer meeting and he finds a devout woman there named Lydia who doesn't know who Jesus is and he leads her to the Lord. She's so excited. The first thing she says without Paul making a request is, I'm going to give give it in what I think modern day vernacular would be. I know it costs you something to get here. It's not like I'm looking around and you've got lavish accommodations to go to. I got a house. I sell purple stuff. Uh, I'm well off. Y'all need to stay at my house and I need to take care of y'all. I know it's hard to trust a stranger, but I'm here to meet your need. Paul needy. People, he ain't even asked nobody and somebody see he needs something. This is the first day he leads somebody, Lord, you need something, Paul? You're coming to a church and the first thing you think when you're in a church environment, they need something. Do an offering every single Sunday. They must have a need, yes, for the lights to be on. And you provide that. Thank you. <laughs> Paul goes on and after he he, he does that. He's out there preaching, and all of a sudden, you know, uh, he's out there preaching in the marketplace, and it's this uh, lady filled with a demonic spirit that just follows behind him and says, these are the men of the Most High God. These are the men of the Most High. And the Scripture says Paul was annoyed, and he turns, and he casts the devil out. He gives the exorcism. Come out. The Bible says that the people who owned her lost wages, they lost money because she couldn't do it anymore. And you know what they had? Do you know what happened to Paul? The Bible said they beat him and threw him in jail. Now, he on a missionary trip. The worst thing you can have a missionary do when they're on a trip is go there and get locked up. We just sent you there to reach people, not get locked up. Got to be smart on the mission field. He didn't say the Lord said cast the devil out. He said the Bible said he was annoyed. And use his gift to get the devil out the girl because he was frustrated. Now he locked up in need. Paul stays in need. Now, who you think going to help him while he, he locked up? Well, I know it was Lydia in the Philippi church because they was there praying for Paul to get released. This message has to be about needy people. That, that's what I would think because he's starting out happy that somebody is renewing their need. He's never requesting, but he's always in a situation of peril. And he starts having some politeness. Put the Scripture back up there. You see the politeness in him. He says, um, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. Isn't that that polite? I know you wanted to help me out. You just didn't have no chance. You didn't know where I was because I move around so quick. I know you wanted to help me, though. And he says, but, but here's where it gets confusing. Verse 11 says, I'm not saying this because I have a need. Wait a minute. Don't you hate double talk? You're happy I renewed. you so happy. Oh, I'm so happy you renewed your commitment. But no, I, don't, I want you to know I don't need nothing. I don't need nothing. I'm fine. Worst thing in the world is somebody, you give somebody, you see somebody in need, man, I'm going to give you $100. Oh, I, that's a blessing. That's a real blessing. But I didn't need it. 
but give my $100 back then. That's what I want to say. Give, give it back to me. So, this message is already confusing me. The letter is already confusing me because he's happy about his need being met, and then he starts that double speech. But I don't need nothing. I'm cold. Verse 12 is going to give us some clues. I know what it is to be in need. I'm not going to deny the fact that I lack sufficiency. I am deficient. I know what it is to have plenty, and I've learned the secret of being content in every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want, Paul is now going to articulate in the letter why his letter could not be about his neediness of more missionary support. He is not rejoicing that he's in front of an audience who typically gives to him and pays the cost to reach a city for him. He's not focused on that. He's focused on being happy about something else, and the text is not telling us yet what it is. But it couldn't be his need being met. He says, I know what it's like to be in lack. Now, everybody has a version of what they think it means to be in lack. Like mine is remembering the block cheese. If you couldn't laugh, you know, know what block cheese is. That just block cheese is government cheese. And how we used to say it growing up, government cheese, government. Okay, so that block cheese could last you a long time. It's the best cheese on the planet today. <laughs> See, when you're needy, you, you, you can identify with people in a needy position. You don't get pious. You don't get out of sorts. It's something about us all needing the times of plenty and we need the times of need because they keep us humble. Because if you've never been in need, you'll look at needy people like, why don't they just help themselves? I'm helping myself. What did Paul do to see himself in such peril 10 years later that he's locked up. Well, he, would, he, had been, he had been locked up so many times by this point. Falsely accused, released, attempts assassination, shipwrecked because of the gospel, flogged, stoned, left for dead because of the gospel to reach a city. He knows what it's like to be on the bottom and for him, he just knows what it's like to have his basic needs met. But it's making him sensitive to other people. This is not about Paul's neediness. It's not to, to try to promote uh, a response of generosity. This is not what's trying to be done here. Now, typically, a scripture like this is used in a context when you need something for someone, but that's an off context. 
That's why it's not being used that way today. Nothing, no, no, no special offering being taken because, you know, people at church get this smart. Oh, I read ahead. No. He's learned to be content, satisfied. Whatever state you find yourself in, learn there to be content. What a difficult statement it seems to be easy to articulate, but that is very difficult seemingly to do. Be content. We are Americans, mostly, in here. And let me tell you something about being American. Contentment will get you stuck somewhere in our... This is about never having enough, pressing on until you have the biggest and the best and the most, until you're satisfied beyond your wildest dreams, and then someplace later in life, you'll have the opportunity to be generous. This is opposite or antithetical to Paul's position. Now he's going to start giving you the solutions that give you the clue that none of this sermon could be, or none of this text, none of this letter could be about need. He quotes the most famous, the next verse is going to be the most famous scripture there is. Other than John 3.16, I will put this in the, I'm going to put it in the top 10 of most quoted scriptures. I quote this scripture, it's coming up all the time. It's misunderstood, but I'm going to show you what we thought it was about. I'm going to show you what it really is about. Verse 13. We know it. Y'all say it all together. One, two, three, go. Everything I want to do, I can do. I can do all things because he's given me a holy spell that I can cast over my life. I can begin to speak to all those things that are preventing me from being prosperous. I can tell my body, body be skinny in Christ's name. <laughs> the first time I heard this scripture was from a man named Steve Mandrager, who, who was a who was a Navy SEAL who jumped out of planes and then he became a personal trainer. And everything he quoted about his life is how this is the scripture that caused him to triumph. Because Christian triumph, based on individual inclinations and desires, is what this scripture is about. No. Paul, is, because it, let me prove to you why the scripture is going to be about, that, about this. Maybe I didn't, wasn't clear enough. Paul is writing this letter from a form of a prison. He's a prisoner. The scripture says of his own admission several times, there's chains on me. Now, he was in a rented house with a, with a guard. I don't even know if they were making him pay for the house because that's why he needed it. It's not clear. All I know is he was in need. You say, well, if you, I'll be able to house arrest. Then in the dungeon, well, you know, just, just tell yourself you're not allowed to go out the house for a week. See, you're going to go stir crazy. Paul not only was in prison, he didn't know whether he would be assassinated or killed at any moment. He was in distress. Paul even despaired of his life, the Scripture says. He said, this is too burdensome. 
it's too, that's too much for me to want to be here. He said, in fact, I'm caught between two things, whether to go or to whether to stay. This is not like a fake. This guy's not saying he's content and he can do all things through Christ because he don't have needs. And his prayer back to the praying church of the Philippi who loves him is not deliver me from the assignment to reach the cities. It's, you know what? I just want you to know how grateful I am for your participation. You see, Paul is saying he learned how to be content in what God decides for him. And I'm going to tell you something. The lie that the enemy told you that being a Christian is equal to the promise of being an American is a lie. He does not tell you, buy the sky. Get everything you want by spiritual hocus pocus. No. In fact, he tells you, you might spend the rest of your life in need. From the beginning of Paul's ministry, you know what he told him? I mean, the, I mean this is on day one. He said, hey, Ananias, go tell Paul all the stuff he got to suffer for me. I mean, I'm going to backslide on the third day after hearing that. Like, Lord, I'm, Lord, I must get back to you in a couple of years. I need to do a few things first. That's where we live as a church. Let me do a few things first. Then when my strength is gone, I'll give you what I got left. See, reaching the city will cost you something, but will you pay? Who wants to say, can you help me? None of you do. None of us do. It didn't even seem like Paul wanted to do it. He, these are the people who normally give to him. He ain't even asking them for nothing. He's celebrating them. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. This is not about your triumph as a Christian over anything that comes to your mind, but it is your ability to stay in the perfect will of God no matter what you have. You hear me, church. This is a word for you. No matter what you are going through right now, God is not ignorant of it, but whether you are bound or whether you are base, Christ is the difference maker for you being able to go through it. Paul is going through with joy, but he's got a chain on him. He's got depression chasing him. He's got assassins waiting on him, but his assignment is the right to the Galatians. His assignment is the right to the Ephesians. His assignment is the right to the Colossians. His assignment is the right Philemon. He doesn't have time to think about his neediness. If he uses the Scripture to get out of his calling, then we won't have anything to preach about today. Oh, I'm running out of time, and I'm... Paul, in the 14th verse, shifts. See, yet it's good for you to share my troubles. Maybe this is about the Philippians' generosity. If it's not about Paul's neediness, then it has to be about their generosity. You share in my troubles. You provide for my needs. You hold on to my name as the founder of this church. 
You see, some people, Paul says, are preaching the gospel and just demonstrating a connection with me to hurt me. You are holding on to your connection with me and saying, if it costs me my life in the same way it costs him his life, I'm willing. He said, they're not giving to him the individual independent of understanding his mission. Therefore, they're not giving to Paul, but they're giving to Christ for his mission. They're not generous people because they heard about human need. They're generous people because they heard about what the will of God was to reach a city. They have transcended the human condition while the earthly situation of generosity is to show extreme poverty. No, these people who are giving are giving out of their extreme poverty. You would think that the Philippian church was just stacked like that. Had it laying around. But you know, if we keep reading further, that's not true. He said, moreover, you Philippians know, and uh, you know in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out for Macedonia, it's not one church shared in a matter of giving and receiving, except you only. He is helping them understand. This church is generous. They're saying, Paul is saying, more people should have carried the load of helping me reach the city, and they didn't. But you didn't say, well, that's their responsibility. You said, I will pay for you and help you do for your city what you did for mine because somebody had to pay for me to be reached. You know, sometimes we get to a place and say, well, they did all the work. I don't have to do anything. No, we all have to do the same measure of work. We just got to reach other parts of the city. It doesn't matter if we've built a building in Brentwood and we can ride out into the sweet, you know, horizon thinking it's great. You're still going to be called upon by Jesus based on his mission at some time, not here, not here today, because that's not the point of this message, to give to reach Antioch or Nolensville or Spring Hill or, or way out there in, uh, what's that, Bellevue. I call it way out there. I live here in Brentwood right here. Y'all who are driving, I appreciate all y'all. But we're going to help you reach your city. He appreciates them. This is about their generosity. It's not about Paul's needs. Maybe it's about their generosity. He says, and, and, and back, no, go back down. He said, nobody in the giving or receiving. Paul is even doing something that would make you think this is what you do if you want to motivate people to be generous, the giving and receiving. This is, a, this is when you look, study the words, a credit and debit situation. This is called Paul proof of his ledger, proof of, of how he uh, is keeping accurate account for every resource that's been given. They're generous. Verse 16. So even when I was in Thessalonica, you sent aid. More than once, more than I needed. That's the first city they went to reach. You sent what I needed. Verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts, but that I desire more to be credited to your account. Now a shift is happening. This is not about the Philippian generosity. I don't desire your gifts. It's not about them. It's not about him, and it's not about them doing something. It's not about getting something more from people through what you say. Verse 18. So I've received full payment 
and have more than enough. Just remember, he's still in need. His more than enough is Christ. I have been amply supplied. This is Christ. Now that I have received Aphroditus and the gifts you sent, I have a fragrant offering, acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. See, their generosity wasn't based on their abundance, but the mission. It was a pleasing sacrifice. Remember Cain and Abel? Cain offered something, but God rejected it. Abel offered something that was specific to what God desired, and it was accepted. It's not just giving God anything. He's demonstrating what kind of heart they have. But I think this next verse is going to allow me to complete this sentence. God, no, too fast, too fast. I'm going to give it away. God is not trying to get something from us. Perhaps this is all about what God is trying to get to us. He's not trying to get something from you. Why is he not trying to get something from you? He got everything. Paul's excited because they don't stop participating in the missional work of God. And because they haven't, he's reminding them that they're doing it from a pure heart, expecting nothing, going through this. The Scripture says they're going through the exact same pain that Paul is because he's trying trying to advance the gospel. But yet here's the verse, verse 19. He said, but my God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. How often have we quoted that Scripture? And never thought about the advancement of the kingdom. We just thought about the pain of our bill. Paul needed encouragement from Aphrodite because he didn't just need the gift he had. He needed, he needed the encouragement of another human being. Touch me. Show me love. He's so excited that they would send him love, but even if they didn't send it, he had to let them know my needs are met. My God shall supply, Philippians, your needs. Because the whole time it looks like this message is about either my needs or your generosity, but this is about what God wants to do in you. So often when we participate in the mission of God, we forget that God will be no man's debtor. We forget that the Bible says that be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth that shall he also reap. We forget that he gives you bread to eat and seed to sow, and then he multiplies your seed. God will always give you more than you ever give him. He's rejoicing that after 10 years of birth in that church, they've never stopped doing the work, but the need is still on them. What do they need encouragement for? They need to know that he made it this long because of Christ supplying his need and that they can make it this long because God's going to meet their needs. What is this really about? It's not about God trying to get something from you. It's about God trying to get something to us. Too often the work and ministry of God is left undone because it looks like he wants your time. He wants your talent. He wants your treasure independent of your own need. 
And sometimes the reality is our needs don't matter in comparison to the mission that he's assigned us to. But the reward we get is an intimate, personal, eternal relationship with Jesus Christ, that he is the gift that keeps on giving and giving and giving, and he causes all grace to abound toward you, that you having all sufficiency and every good thing can abound to every good work. What is he doing? He is making you and I a distribution center. He is coming close to you. God's saying, there's nothing that I need to withhold from you, and I own the cattle on a thousand hills. I own everything. You know, it's something about knowing you can have anything you want, but you want to stay on task. See, Jesus, when he was on the earth, knew he could have anything he wanted, but he wanted to do the will of the Father more than he wanted to satisfy his own will. He had asked, can this cup pass for me? He said, God said, no, but my grace, Paul, is sufficient for you. Jesus, this cup can't pass from you, but I'll strengthen you. See, he gives us everything we need to live this life well. Stop thinking. Stop waiting. I, I know it's, it, it, and just hear me on this. Stand to your feet while as, I, as I close. Just, just hear me on this. You don't need to go to your mailbox every day, wait on that deliverance check. Oh. You don't need to get your income tax check back and not understand that you saved that money in the government's account and they gave it back to you. That's what they did. God is not trying to get us to focus on how needy the world is of all of our stuff. He's not trying to get us to focus on what generous people really look like. He's trying to say, I'm so generous. I'm so benevolent. That when you weren't even involved in what was going on, I was continuing to supply you things to sow, things to do, giving to you a burden for my mission. What, what, what do I want you to take away from this? Is that the character of God has been under attack. It looks like he doesn't care. It looks like he wants more than he gives. And it's simply a lie about him. He don't want anything from you and I. He wants to give us stuff. How could he write it's more blessed to give than receive and want you to give him more than he gives you? He loves you so much and me so much. It's all about blessing you. Don't come in God's environments with fear. Don't be afraid to hear about your individual callings from God. Don't be afraid to hear what it costs to reach a city. I'm, this is beyond monetary. I'm saying it might cost you something to do the work of God. Start knowing that God's not trying to get things from you to you. And when you know this, you know how you'll live? With confidence, with boldness, with clarity, with direction, with focus, with energy, with life. With love, you'll just be filled and fulfilled. Ministry team, you can come down. I'm going to pray for you now. You want to know what I'm going to pray over you? I'm going to pray that God could wipe out, he can go back in your past and begin to auto-correct all of the wrong thinking about him 
his church, his mission, his intent, his why. So you don't see him as the God that's trying to motivate you by showing you needs, but the God who's trying to give to you so you can keep on participating in the ministry that he's doing. I don't doubt that just like Paul, you are going through something right now. Christ is your answer. I don't doubt that like the Philippians that were being generous, they were going through some hard times. Christ Jesus is your answer. And I'll end with this cliche, cliche story. Have you ever been around that person that everywhere you look, they just praising God? I got a parking spot. Ooh, that's the favor of God. And every little thing. And then finally you ask them, why are you always praising God for everything? And they say, he's done so much for me. And I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. He's done so much for me. And I cannot tell it all. He's taken all my sins away. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would autocorrect and go through our memory breaks and erase all those times the enemy has whispered, you're trying to get something from us. You're trying to manipulate us. Erase it, God. Give us the motivation of Paul. Give us the motivation of the Philippians who were so gospel-oriented to pay the cost to reach their city. They didn't even think about themselves, and yet you were their Christ, supplying for every single need. So we say as a church what they said. Praise God. Glory to God. You're the answer to everything I'm going through, and I praise you, and I worship you, and I glorify you, because I'll never be without my needs met. You're not trying to get anything from me. You're trying to get everything I need to me. Bless us as we leave this place, Lord. Keep us in the center of your will. That's the apple of your eye. We'll give you praise for all things in Jesus' name. Amen. Give God a hand clap of praise. If you have any prayer needs whatsoever, come on down and we'll pray for you. God bless you. Dismiss. If you're new to Bethel, I'll meet you over there at Guest Central with some of the other staff and team. God bless you. Good to see you. Go in the grace and strength of the Lord.